Hey everyone, Matt Johnson here. Before we get into the latest episode, I want to mention the Certified Listing Agent course from Pat Hyben's Rebus University. Our own Jeff Cohn is one of the featured agents in the course. Jeff and seven other top agents sat down with Pat and went through their entire listing presentation start to finish and gave all their best tips and tactics. These are the guys closing 85% or more of their listing appointments. So if you're looking to up your game or you just want extremely high quality training material for your team, check out the Certified Listing Agent course at rebusuniversity.com. Just use Jeff Jeff's last name, Cone, C-O-H-N, at checkout to get a hundred bucks off. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market, featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Matt Johnson here. We're back with another episode of the Team Building Podcast. And we, are got, we have a great guest today. This is the place where uh, we speak when mastermind with the other top mega agents and team leaders around the country. And we go really deep into some of the things that are working for them, but also some of the things that they're looking to install and implement in their business and some of the ramifications and implica implications of all the changes that they'd like to make to their teams and really go deep on the things that you as a team leader need to know that's working for other team leaders around the country. So first of all, let's bring in, uh, fresh off his uh, victory with you know, the local Dancing with the Stars, Jeff Cohn. Jeff, what's up? Awesome. Hey, Matt. Yeah, and I actually just got back from Montreal. Uh, if you haven't been there, wow. Uh, really enjoyed my time there. I uh, was at uh, Rock Thomas's special event and was able to speak there on stage for about an hour. Pretty nice size audience. It was a great time and masterminded with some great people. Um, and of course, we are super pumped to have a special guest and friend, Brett Tanner, with us today. Brett ran, runs one of the top teams in Phoenix. Um, I was privileged to host Brett at my team building workshop a couple months ago, and we got to hang out a lot even after the event and um, talk about different business strategies and things we do with the income we generate, which is a topic that doesn't get discussed a lot. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit today. You know, what's the next step? Everyone always thinks it's about the evolution of expanding your team, but true wealth is not created just by generating income. Income's great, but it's what you do with that income that's going to create wealth. And we can get into that. And I, I would say Brett is a master at that. But Brett, Welcome to the call, brother. How you feeling today? Man, I'm awesome. Thanks, brother, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, it was so you were so great to have me out to to your event and host it, and uh, we became friends. And uh, I know we've talked quite a bit since then. So uh, I'm honored to be here today and to be you know on your podcast. So thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Awesome. No, it's our pleasure. We're excited to have you. Absolutely. So, Brett, let's start off with just the, the basics here and give us an idea of, uh, obviously, you're in the Phoenix market, but give us an idea of the, the structure of your team, what that looks like, who your agents are, and your admin staff are. So yeah, we've got about, we seat in my building, we have the ability to seat 30 people. Um, we hover right around 27 to 30 all the time. So that's agents and admin combined. So to break it down, we've got four admin and one part-time, and then all of the rest are agents. Um, so right around 25, 26 agents pretty much all the time. Uh, or did I lose? Can you hear him, Jeff? No, I can't, but I can hear you. Okay. So, so yeah, and so part of, I say agents, I mean, those are people in sales. So that is represented. We do have some ISAs, agents, and then okay. we've got our regular agents. So I can kind of break through, uh, break down all that too as we get going. Okay, awesome. So what's your year look like so far this year? 
year we should close about 85 90 ish million which will be right around 400 to 430 units is where we'll land okay nice so where does that put you in phoenix how do you guys uh, rank, rank against the other top teams uh it's interesting if you take if you look at luxury we should be top five you know we okay. may be phoenix is one of the most competitive markets in the country some people don't know that um yeah, i do look at aren't there like, like 60, in, like in, 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 in or something <laughs> We got, uh, I think there's 40, 40,000 oh agents in the MLS. That's I mean, if you look at in, in you know, Keller Williams, some of the, you know, country come from, so it's a, it's a competitive market, but uh, yeah, we're up there for sure. Yeah. Cool, man. That's awesome. Your team's dominating. You know, any team that's doing over three, three, 350 deals to me is crushing it. Um, to get to that, I know that it takes extreme leverage and business mindset. Um, as a rainmaker agent, I mean, I know a lot of agents that are rainmakers doing 150 to 200 deals a year with an assistant. When you're a team and you start expanding, you know, to hit that 300 mark, I, you have to have a leverageable business with transaction coordinators, buyers agents, listing agents, et cetera. You can still be in the game, but to be up to 400 or 450 deals, that's commendable. So nice work. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And and hey Brett, on on the agent side, are they? Do you have listing specialists, buyer specialists? How, how's that? Are they allowed to do other things? So yeah, our agents, if they start, if they're brand new, the only reason they couldn't list would be if they're brand new and they've got to work with one of our people that can list our our senior people. But after they went through our training process and once they're cleared by us, everybody on the team can list. So we gotcha. want to hire and have sales agents that uh, they do buyers and sellers, you know, much like Jeff does. When I started doing that. You know, I think I know I would in terms of Keller Williams, in terms of the masterminds I was in, I was one of the first to do it. Hmm. You can't do that. It'll never work. I mean, you have to you have to separate it. Specialization. I was like, man, I don't, I'm just doing it. I don't care. I'm, I'm breaking the model and I'm doing it. And so um, now I think that's becoming the norm. I know, Jeff, I know you do it. When I go talk agents across the country, if they're a true owner of a team that's not in production, I feel like they, they have most of their agents listing, right? Yep. I mean, you've got those you agents know, that are doing that are carrying, hey, they do 350 deals, but the agent does 150 to 200. Yep. That's a different You deal. know, to, to each their own, if you're a team lead and you want to run it the way you want to run it, that's great. Millionaire real estate agent says to split it up. The reason people split it up, and I did this for three years, so I'm falling on the sword here, is because I want to keep all the listings. The listings are the easiest business you can get. So what agents do when they start moving out of the Rainmaker model, they stop working the buy side, they focus on listings, they hire buyer's agents, they give their buyer's agents all the buy side leads at a split, and then they take all the buyer's agents listing leads at a split, and they focus just on the listing side of the business. The problem is if you build a business that way, when you choose to exit the listing side, or you only wanna work listings over a half a million or whatever it may be, who's gonna work the listing side? And so I don't believe it's, thinking in an abundance mentality to not allow the buyer's agents to list. But I love what you guys do. And we actually stole that from you, Brett, when you came. You know, there's certain specifications or achievements that buyer's agent must reach before you allow them to list. We don't want to put a buyer's agent that's been in the business two months into a listing presentation where you know you're setting them up for failure. So I, did you say the number's 20 sales before they can go and list or something like that? Yeah, like we put, I mean, we're, it's a little bit of a guideline. It's not a hard line, but yeah, it's about, we figure like it, depending on the person, 15, 20 sales, like they've got their arms around it yep. and they at least understand transactions and both sides and the business yep. enough to them representing us on a listing. Yep, and that's the number, and that's for us too. So we want to see about 15 to 20 deals. That's a year in the business. And then we also have a lot of different training that we've put on that we've recorded. And so they have to go through, and there's probably about 
15 or 20 hours of work that the agent has to do to be listing agent approved. Uh, we always want to send them on their first five to 10 listing presentations with another agent, call it their mentor or an agent they partner with on those listings so they don't lose out on that opportunity. And more importantly, they get to see what a seasoned agent does in a listing press. Hey, getting right into it, you know, after visiting with you, Brett, one of the things that impressed me the most was your accountability process and how active your agents are in outbound prospecting and how you hold them accountable. I thought I was aggressive. You know, I knew a couple other guys in the country, but I'd say you're one of the more aggressive. Talk to us a little bit about what expectations you hold your agents to and how you are able to continue that month after month without losing a bunch of people. So our model calls for if you're an agent on our team, whether it's a paid agent, an ISA or whatever, if you're in sales, the minimum you would do, you would show up from nine to noon and call for three hours at our office. Wow. Every day it's required. You can't be late. You can't leave early. You cannot, if you have a listing appointment during that time, I literally would tell you, fire the client. We can't have them. Awesome. Because I've never met a client that couldn't find another time. Right. Uh, and no question. One of my agents will come. I've got a $400,000 listing appointment tomorrow at 10. And I'm like, no, you don't because you don't have a job or we're going to fire you or the client. And it makes no difference to me. Right. I mean, the, the end of the day, agents will find a thousand reasons not to do what they're supposed to do, which is prospect. So we're really committed that on our team, we want ability. I want to see the effort metrics because in those three hours, I can really see what the agent's doing and determine when they'll be successful, right? Because if they're, if they're putting in the effort and they don't start producing and hitting their goals, at some point it's my fault, right? I mean, I'm not, they've got a training issue, which I got to, I got to take that on and say, look, our, our right. training either sucks or we got to prove it or whatever. Um, but if they're putting in the effort, um, it's my fault. If they don't so, put in the effort, it's their fault. So Monday through Friday, three hours, nine to noon. Tell me exactly who are they calling? How many calls do they have to make in that three hours? How many contacts, how many appointments, et cetera? What are the metrics as you're tracking? So everyone's going to have their own pipeline. They're working, right? One of the first things they're going to do is they're going to work their existing pipeline, right? So during those three hours, they can call. It's follow-ups from Boomtown. They're going to have their daily to-dos. And on average, a, a, an agent with a full pipeline is going to have about 30 to-dos they got to take care of, right? That should take them an hour-ish. So it's an hour of maintenance and then at least two hours. I always say it's no more than 50-50 maintenance to new business on outbound, on prospecting. Okay. So then from there, they're going to come in. They're going to hit the new expireds is where we always start. From there, we would flip to probably old expireds. And we actually have created what I call a call hierarchy list. So it's an order of this is where you should start and this is where you should stop. For is, is everybody doing it at the same time? So you guys flip a switch and say, all right, now it's expired. Now it's FISBO. Or do the agents choose which order they want to go in and win? They could choose what order they want to go in, right? They know what their options are. So we're pretty little, like, here are the different lists. Because one guy may say, hey, man, I love FISBOs. It's my, my style, right? And so I don't push them as hard on what they're calling. And I really don't care what they're calling. I just care that they are calling, right? If they're calling, if one guy says, hey, I want to upload my sphere and I just want to crush it. Cool, man, go get it. I don't, that doesn't bother me at all. Because I know if you're, so out of, in three hours, on average, you're going to make about 300 calls. You're going to talk to 25 to 30 people, right? Seven to, whenever you're making calls, I would tell you that it's, it's going to be a seven to 10% contact rate. If your rate is less than that, you have bad data. So you need to fix your settings in your dialer or um, you got bad data. And you guys are on the Mojo dialer? We use Mojo. I will, for me, I will tell you that I think there, there's no better tool, especially as you scale works really well with 20 people, 30 people. It, it scales great. We could have your teams and my team could all hook in and call. And Where are you buying your data. expired and for sale by owner data? Red X has got a really good way to pull expireds 
And I would tell you, if you're listening to this call, the best place to start or this podcast, go pull the five years old expires. Like if you're not on the phones and you want to get on the phones, don't start with the new stuff. That's where the sharks are. Get an expired that's three years old. It is the easiest call on the planet. Yeah, no one else is making it. So you're not competing against a bunch of other people. I even tell my agents, you know, do the initial and then call them six months later. That six month call is a really good one too because people are exhausted having their house on the market. It expires, they want a little break before putting it back on the market. Another great software tool out there, guys, we use the Mojo Dialer as well, Vulcan 7. Uh, we found Vulcan 7's data is the best data out there because it gives you next of kin. So you're calling their uncles, their brother, their sister, et cetera, to find the homeowner's information. And what we've done is we hire our virtual assistant who uploads all the expired and FISBO data into Boomtown. So we're not using the dialer that's within the Vulcan 7 software. We're actually using the Mojo dialer, which is now integrated with Boomtown. And so all of those leads are in there in the cat in their own categories. And so we just essentially export within the dialing system of of Boomtown and Mojo's marriage, we can then Mojo dial expired FISBO without any of my agents ever having to touch that or make that work. So it's been working really well for us. All right, so the typical leadership question is, you have this agent and you say, you know, you're playing tough, saying, hey, if you don't come in, it's gonna come in, you're off the team, you're off the team. In, re realistically, how are you holding them accountable? Like, I would just tell you, I would pound tell you sand if I was one of your agents. I was, the, the way I go is I go, Jeff, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a bet. I'm a little bit of a gambler. So I always say, Jeff, I'll make you a bet. I'll bet you five grand. I can move that listing appointment to another time. Mm, I like that. Yeah. You told me you can't Jeff. So you should, this should be a free $5,000 for you. Right. Mm, I like that. That's a good point. I'm going to take your money. I'll move it. And then I'll yep. even show them. I might help them out. I'll say, Hey Jeff, let, let's, let's go through this. Right. I call them. Hey, I am so sorry. Uh, I am booked Thursday. How you know, I can ping it around, right? It's sure. Thursday better for you. Saturday morning, yep. Friday at two. I mean, that's easy. They just selected, right? The agent didn't push it at all. They just selected, you know, the client says, hey, would 10 work? Sure. And says, saying, oh, I have an appointment. I don't tell them it's a Legion appointment, but I just tell them, hey, I have, I have an appointment. I'm so sorry. I can't make that work. So right. the, the reality is it's just a scripting issue, right? If they're telling me they can't move it, it's 100% a scripting issue that they can fix. Yeah. Love it. And the reason we do not break it, though, because it, it, if they go out and show a buyer, they go to a listing appointment, and now it'll be, they'll miss two days a week and then three days a week. Then their production goes down. Can't maintain consistent production without consistent effort. Yep. Nope. Totally agree. So outside of that three hours, you're holding them accountable to actually being there. Um, and I'm assuming they're tracking all this data within either Mojo or are they, are you, do you have any type of a metrics within Excel spreadsheets or something like that to show all their dials? Absolutely. We keep a call tracking spreadsheet that shows calls, contacts, um, nurtures, appointments, and then all the conversion rates along that. So okay. we know the average, you know, on average of your contacts, 7% is a good average for nurtures, right? And it nurtures any person that's buying or selling in the next 12 months. On average, their appointments is a 1% to 2% tax should set an appointment, right? If you're more skilled, it's more like 2%. If you're less skilled, it's so we build that all out. And what's really cool about the data, compare versus Matt versus Petey versus Susan versus Jim. And you're like, man, why does, why is Jeff so great? And why does Matt suck? No offense, Matt. I mean, you know, it's a story. <laughs> man. So, like, like, but you can look at I me, mean, why are they, why, why, why is Jeff three times better than Matt? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And so you can yep. start asking that question and I can start asking Matt now, like, you're, have you heard Jeff? I mean, are you listening? Maybe you should sit down with Jeff. Maybe you should shadow with him. Or like I, so we pair people up. And the other thing is we're all calling together. So 
25 people come in and are crushing the phones at the same time in the same room. Yes, it's loud. Yes, sometimes people can hear other people's conversations. But if you want to do this, there's nothing more powerful, powerful than the collective energy of 25 people. You're down on the day, you're tired, and you see someone else set an appointment right in front of you, gives you the energy to go forward. And are you out. at your office right now, and are they making calls? I am. They're up there, yeah. How hard would it Maybe be to it. walk over there? Oh. All right, well, let me see it. I'll show you. Hold on. Let me see. If Sorry I, if we right, lose Brett. Brett, if we lose, you come on back in, Matt. I will I'll come back on. All right, hang on. Let's call. I'm calling him out, and he's stepping up. Oh, I didn't tell oh. him we were going to do this. No, I got it. Watch. I'll, I'll yell up here and get everybody to stand up. All right, cool. This is live. That's my assistant, Cynthia. She's over there. There you go. Hey, Cynthia. Hang on. Guys, I'm this is Brett Tanner's office live. Brett's taking us upstairs. Hopefully, the internet stays connected. We're going to see his team prospecting oh, cool. there what's, in Arizona. I, I did make one mistake. We do have training going on today at my brokerage, so this is going to be exciting. But So we have like five people here. Let's it's a skeleton it. crew, but... But I'll show you. Can you see it? Hey. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Cubicles. Oh, oh wait. Wait. Oh. All right. Hang on. There we go. So normally, any other day except on today, on Friday, because we have training of the broker, you'd have everybody lighting it up up here. Cool. Let, can we talk to somebody? Yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to. Unplug your headphones for a second. Andrew, you're going to go live here. He's actually calling right now. Yeah, on the dialer. On the dialer, live. What's up, dude? All right. Can you guys hear him? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So as soon as I get a contact, I'll so let here, you guys know. This is live. This is real. Hey, so is one, point, one point, point I wanted, I wanted to, make to make to people, people that are here in our audience is look at his headset he has on. So a lot of people always ask, you know, how are you able to be in a setting like this and be able to make calls? It'd be too distracting. You see it has a double monitor system, which makes Mojo super simple. Um, you can pull up clients' information on the side or pull up the MLS. The cubicle environment, I think, is way better for creating energy. And if you just simply have a, a really nice headset, and I'd say $100 or more noise-canceling headset, you can put everybody in the same room making calls, no problem. Hey, are you there? Awesome. Thank you, Brett. That was fun. No problem. That was uh, – man, I wish it would have been uh, – I didn't think through today was uh, – we had this training thing in my brokerage. But, no problem, uh, dude. Normally, those are uh, – we are 100% full up there. So that was my main listing guy, Andrew, who – two over 200 listings i think this year so cool that was fun most of the time like we'll do podcasts we don't get to get to see people's actual offices and it's always different you know obviously the way that people choose to to run things and so it's really neat to be able to see that um all right matt johnson where do you want to go from here there's a million different little directions yeah. we want to keep this under 30 minutes so we do yeah so i want to get into the accountability piece a little bit uh deeper in terms of how that affects your hiring on the front end because brett you've got kind of a balanced a little bit more of a balanced approach, Jeff. You're even less in terms of accountability because you're not requiring agents to come in on certain days and do blocks of calls and things like that. So, Brett, when you when you look at that and you know what environment they're going to be put into, how does that affect who you hire on the front end? It's a great question. So, one of the things we do, right? We do the interview, probably the standard agent interview. If we're going to interview agents, we're really only going to have an interview that's about 30, I mean, 15 minutes at 30 minutes max. Bring you in. I would sit down with you, Matt. I would have a disk analysis on you. So our biggest thing, and, and I'm a huge believer in behavior analysis, that being said, tell you if someone actually cares enough or wants to do the work, right? Like you could have a DI, but what if you just don't want to show up or your car or you got personal problems or whatever? Yeah. So our, we will interview anyone with a high eye. As long as you have a high, like eyes or influence your sales, as long as you can talk to other people, um, we will talk to you. So we'd interview you, we'd ask you about your goals. 
And the next thing we do is we bring you back tomorrow to sit in the call center. Like even if you mm -hmm. said, man, like hey, I'm ready to sign up. I go, man, can't do it today. You're going to come tomorrow and you're going to sit in the call center with someone. We're going to pair you up for three hours. And you're going to spend the entire three hours. You can ask them anything you want. You can ask them what they make. You can ask them why they do it. You can ask them if it sucks. You can ask them anything you want. At the end of that, you'll come back down. You'll meet with my sales manager. You'll talk for 10 minutes. Then you'll decide if you want to do it. And, and what happens is it weeds them out, right? One of two outcomes. People say, there is no way in hell I will ever do this. This is crazy. You're nuts. <laughs> or they go, it actually was fun. The environment was cool. And I can't wait to do it. I need accountability. I want to do it, right? So it's one of two outcomes. Gotcha. Yeah. Process. <clears throat> All right. So let me ask you this. This I was, so I was talking to an agent now yesterday, and he was asking about expired scripts. So I was going through some stuff with him, and he literally did not have the ability to hear what I was saying and imitate it. Have you run into this? This like, it's almost like a lack of mirror, uh, mirror neurons. The ability to hear the phrasing that somebody else delivers, or the phrasing or the tonality, and imitate it. Uh, does the does that process of of sitting with someone do you like? Do you go through that and say, "Hey, let's let's go through a script and let's see if you can imitate what you just heard." Have you ever tried anything like that? So I, I, here's my experience on like people ask about role play and script practice, and I think all that's important, right? Um, and I came back from a conference, especially you know Keller Williams, huge on role play and script practice, and I um I, I have my whole team. I'm like, we're doing this now every day. Get down here, 15 minutes. And my guys that have been on the phones for three hours a day for like two and a half years are like, "Hey, Brett, uh, I kind of don't need to just ring ring. I could just." go ring, ring, and actually set an appointment. So I think that the, I think script and role has a play for new people, right? If you're brand new and you're terrified of the phone, let's, let's role play that out. But if someone told me they couldn't mirror and match, I would say, if you give me 90 days on the phone for three hours a day, match all day. Like I always say, it's the 90 day rite of passage to become a master. It's going to gotcha. be a painful yeah, 90 so, days. So you'll but, take a chance on somebody. You'll put them on the phone for 90 uh, days and let, it, let the process work itself out. Yep. Yeah. It's either gotcha. skill or will, right? As long as they got the will to win, we can get yeah. them there. Jeff, and you know, you just, just to disagree, just because I like disagreeing with everyone that comes on our show. Shocking. Good. Um, I, I would say that it's probably going to behoove even your master Jedi telemarketers, <laughs> teleprospectors, to provide a little bit of feedback. And I love your point. Like, just the raw scripting and role-playing probably is, isn't going to help them. But even for you or whoever you believe within your organization is the strongest on the calls, to sit through maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes of one of your top agents' calls and then give them feedback. I know, even for myself, we still make mistakes. We say the wrong thing. We say it too fast. Uh, we don't say it the right way. We, we forget to bring up something that we used to bring up. And you know, for some reason, we're just trying to get to our outcome faster. Um, what we've done on our team is we have a one-hour dialogue training every Wednesday. And if you're not at goal for the month, you have to go to the dialogue training and the call blitz. So we do have one organized call blitz a week for two hours. And our top dialogue trainer, who happens to be my father, Mark Cohn, he'll go and he'll listen to everyone making their calls and he'll spend 10 or 15 minutes coaching them. So it might be interesting to implement something where maybe one day a week or for 20 minutes during that call, call rush, they take turns one time, like they'll make one outbound call where they get on the phone with a decision maker and then the other person gets on a phone and they give one positive, one negative. Because I think there's always going to be criticism that you can provide, constructive criticism you can provide and become a little bit better on each and every call. Another point I wanted to make earlier that I didn't get to say was I loved Brett's point about finding the areas within the outbound calls by having the data. You can see the areas you need to help people improve. And what's been fascinating to me is you might have one agent that makes way more calls than anybody else but they get less people on the phone. And then you can get an agent that gets a lot of people on the phone, but they're not getting the face-to-face -face appointment. 
and you have a person getting all the appointments, but they're not selling houses. And so it shows you from a coaching standpoint, which areas each of the agents need some help on, on a, from a one-on-one -on -one basis. And then what's best is if you have a software that not only has the individual metrics, but also takes it all and creates an algorithm or an average for the overall team. So then you have a benchmark that you've created. So when a new person comes into the organization, you can let them know, hey, we know it takes 189 outbound calls to get one sale, which is our average right now. We know you need five outbound calls to get one person on the phone. You need to get seven decision makers on the phone to get one face-to-face. -face. You need 2.5 face-to-faces to get one executed contract. And then the person knows tangibly what they need to do, ABC, to get a certain result. And I know you guys are doing that. And I think it's fascinating when you do track stuff, it does give you a lot of power in your business. Yeah. So Brett, let me ask you, you, you kind of modeled, we were talking about this before we started recording, that you modeled your, your accountability structure and the prospecting structure after Greg Harrelson. What was it like before then? And what did you, I mean, obviously, modeling something like that, like Harrelson's structure, you went from some level of accountability to a higher level of accountability. So how did the agents that were already with you respond to that transition? So I had this really cool system before I saw Greg's that I like to call half-assed accountability, right? It's <laughs> where, like yeah, it's where you have standards, but you don't hold them to it. Everyone kind of does their own thing. Everybody tells you they're doing the activity, but no one's verifying or checking that they're actually doing it. It's all self-reported data. And everyone's like, no, Matt, I have three, I'm crushing it, man. I'm like, killing really, it. I'm crushing killing it. it in there. Like you should see me in there. Like I'm awesome. Um, so that's what we had before. And what we realized was when I came back and put in accountability, the entire team quit. Just they're like, wow. oh yeah, 50% are like, boom. And, and what I learned from that was, but I couldn't grow without it. In the model I built. So I learned that I had to decide what were the standards that we would hold everyone to regardless. And I would hire new people. And I'll tell you the fascinating thing, you hire new people, they're like, dude, this is no problem. Right? They don't know any different. It's just the way it's done. And so we went to that. Um, seeing Greg, I mean, I just watched, you know, every day. He essentially, my models, I would say from an accountability three hour standpoint, identically, identical to his. I mean, it's the same thing, three hours a day, you got guys crushing it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hard to make the transition, but, um, I would say anyone out there that's listening to this, maybe your thing isn't three hour days. Maybe it's 20 contacts. Maybe it's 15 face-to-face -face meetings. Maybe it's whatever your model. I'm not tied to hammering the phone, but there has to be a standard. If your standard is I have to go on 10 lunches a week. Okay, fine. Or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, obviously 10 lunches isn't possible. That doesn't make sense, but whatever it is, <laughs> whatever your, whatever your standard's going to be, um, you just got to hold someone accountable. There's got to be a way to balance that and measure it and hold them accountable to it. So what one question I have, and it's somewhat rhetorical, is a lot of people are listening and you think before you have a team, why couldn't you have people that choose to do the three hours, but you have other people that don't prospect at all? And the answer to that is the birds of a feather flock together. Everyone's heard that before. It's hard to have an organization that culturally is super successful on the phones, but then there's other people culturally that hate the phones and are intimidated, those two worlds are gonna collide. And so to Brett's very point, and it was very courageous of you because most people take the path of least resistance and they would have just stayed with the team that had all sorts of dysfunctions surrounding accountability. You were willing to lose a handful of agents and build it back up the way that you wanted to build it. But I think that there is a truth to the fact that there's teams with no accountability, there's teams with the mediocre accountability, and there's teams with max um, accountability and all three can be successful. I think the goal from a leadership standpoint is that you create clarity around accountability by showing a potential recruit exactly what you do on a day-to-day -day basis is the best way to do that. 
Most brokerages just bring someone into a conference room, tell them what they're going to get. And great brokerages bring people in and show them what they're going to get in live, actual, tangible settings. So I think that's really neat that you guys do that. Yeah. Thanks. I like that. And that definitely helps prevent some of the issues where you get bad, bad culture fits, bad behavioral fits and all that stuff. Once they get in and find out what, what you really do, if you have any level of accountability, you definitely want to show it before they, before they even get in so that they can choose it and that's their choice and link it to their goals and stuff like that. So, all right, so let's get into the, uh, the wealth building piece, shall we? Let's do it. So, you know, guys, a lot of agents across the country help people buy and sell real estate and they never themselves buy or sell real estate. I'd love to know the stat on it, but I would guess that not even 1% of realtors across the country invest in real estate. Uh, when I got into the business 10 years ago, I celebrate 10 years in real estate um, in November, I did informational interviews with about 20 agents in my local market, and I asked them if they were 23 years old again, what they would have done different. And most of these people were in their 50s. What do you think they said? All of them said I would have invested in residential real estate because they watched the market double in, in the Midwest, which typically we only see 3% appreciation. They had watched the markets double three or four times. And so they thought, man, had I just invested the money, leveraged everything I had and bought a bunch of real estate, look where I'd be today. I would submit that over the course of the next 30 years, we will see more appreciation than what we saw in the last 30 years. Because we're, we're going to see some crazy stuff when it comes to interest rates. And I do think that the real estate is going to, I mean, we're going to see ebbs and flows, especially on the East and West Coast. But overall, I would guess that in the next 30 years, we're going to see some crazy appreciation surrounding real estate. It's always appreciated and it's going to keep going up and you can leverage, you can leverage other people's money. It's a no brain investment. So um, for me, that's where I've chosen to put my money. Um, I've built a flipping business and Brett and I talked a lot about that business. It's a game of acquisition, buying property at 30% below market, putting money in uh, to build equity and then either selling it or holding it. So we flip 24 houses a year and hold 12 houses a year. So we essentially buy 36. Um, Brett, I would love you to talk a little bit about your wholesaling strategy and then um, I guess anywhere else in your world that you've chosen to put money that you earn. And for most agents, they put money that they earn into their house and their cars and their credit card payment and unfortunately don't take advantage of investing in things that create actual wealth, which are businesses, or investments that generate uh, cash flow without them having to be actively involved? So I, I, I'd answer that a couple ways. Um, for me, right, I would say if we were to survey the top agents in the country, like the top 10, the wealthy people, and I'd say the interesting thing is I would bet that if we were to look at it, of their wealth was not created by being the world's greatest real estate agent and getting a commission. They're wealthy because they did a lot of sales and took that money and invested it into real estate, right? So if you want to be wealthy, you could do it as a real estate agent. I would argue that's the hard road. I look at my real estate business as a way to create cash, it spends off a huge amount of cash that I can use to do whatever I want with it. I have chose that because we're in real estate, we're closer to it. I understand and I know more about it to invest it back into real estate. And you know, when you get to where you're selling 500, 600 homes a year, you have that many more opportunities to find great deals, right? So I look at my team, whenever we look at a property, actually, when I look to sell it as a commission, that's the last thing I look to do. The first thing I look to do is can I buy it and profit from it in some way? Yeah. And so, you know, for all of my investing long-term wealth, it's real estate, rentals, single family, duplex, fourplex, um, basic stuff, right? Nothing crazy. But if I see a great deal, we take it down. Um, I actually got my license 11 years ago go to for the only purpose was to flip houses and a real estate agent. I was like, I just, 
I'm going to do my own deals, right? I want to, I want to be in charge. So I think every agent out there that is not flipping houses or involved in the investment side is making a massive mistake. I've gone around the country speaking about this because agents know what a property, what they can get it for today for, right? The only variable you're missing if you want to flip houses is how much cost in rehab do you need? That's the only thing you're missing. And the difference is profit. And some people will say, well, I don't have any money. Money's the easiest thing to get. If you could show any investor, hey, you buy it here, you sell it here, you're gonna make 50 grand. I wanna take half of the 50 because I'm gonna put it all together and I don't have any money. Investors will do it. You know, I know that that's true because I did it. I at one point went and got an investor that put up, at one point I was managing about $3 million of his money and we were flipping houses and it was, it was the best money ever made. I had no risk. It was all his money and I got half of the profit we made and I made him a fortune. And then, you know, at one point I shipped his capital back and said, I'm going to do this myself. But I tell you that because agents have deals, they have opportunities. So I think it's not so much the commissions. I would put a strategy in place that how am I going to get rich? And it's most likely going to be through real estate. Let me make an additional comment. I agree with everything Brett's talking about. And I love this conversation and it doesn't get discussed enough. The challenge I think is that one house isn't sexy. So in my market, I can buy a 120, did you get sexy? I messed up right when I said sexy. Is it, do we have like something that eliminates bad words or something? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a sense of Jeff's talking again. Yeah, exactly. So in my market, I can pick up $150,000 split entry home uh, with like 1,400 square feet. And I can usually buy it if I get a really good sale for like 120. And okay. that would rent out probably for about $1,500 a month. So in my market, you should be able to rent a property if it's worth 150,000, you take 1% of that's 1,500. That's how okay. much I should be able to rent in a month. So I'm going to put down, I have a local bank that'll allow me to put down 25%. So okay. I don't have a calculator, call that $30,000 down. That's that cash position. Well, I don't have money. Well, yes, you will need about 30,000 down. I'm trying to find houses on the rental side that only need about $5,000 in renovation. So call it 35,000. Okay. At $1,500 a month rent, and now I have a, I have a mortgage payment, um, of about you know ninety thousand dollars, so principal and interest called a thousand. So I'm cash flowing five hundred. If anyone has a calculator, I have actually have one. I'll show you the numbers right now. So you take you take the cash flow. So five hundred dollars a month times twelve is six thousand. You divide that by your initial capital investment. I told you twenty five down plus five in reno is thirty thousand. That's going to give me a return of twenty percent, guys. 20% on $30,000. So it's a huge return where it's not sexy as 500 a month. Agents are like, well, one commission's 4,000. What's 500 a month? Well, think if every year over the next 20, you used your tax return. And instead of using that tax return to go on a vacation or pay taxes because you weren't paying throughout the year. <laughs> what tax return? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Depending on, yeah. depending on how much you're paying. You know, if you use that money to buy one rental property, the play that you don't take into account is the equity growth. So essentially you're having someone else pay down a mortgage for you. So that cash flow one month is 500, 600, 700, 800, and that continues to grow. So in my market, I'd get to a point within 20 years when that note gets paid off, the property is going to double or triple in value. So that house worth 150 is worth 300. And now I told you the rule of 1%, I'm now charging 3,000 a month, which is $36,000 a year. So if I had 10 of those properties, that's $360,000 a year. Most people listening to this would be pretty happy making 360. 
Now imagine if you had 100 of those properties or 300. And I love Brett's point and people will roll their eyes and say it's not possible. I know a lot of guys with a lot of capital, if they have the right operator that they trust that has a proven track record or you know has the work ethic and can prove that they've done things in the past successfully, not necessarily flipping, but anything in their life successfully. And you can, you know, you take 100% of their capital and 100% of your sweat. There's people that will give you the money and then do what Brett did. Once you're successful enough and have your own capital, then you can say, thank you so much for helping get me to this point. And I'm going to go out and do it on my own. The next play that Brett has helped me with a little bit is the wholesaling option. So once you become a master at acquisition, both from the rental property standpoint and a flipping standpoint, if you have too many properties, Instead of closing on them, you can put them under contract and assign those contracts to investors that are wanting to flip or acquire rental property. And that's a whole nother opportunity uh, for wealth creation or sorry, cash generation. And then it's just what you choose to do with that cash. That's going to determine if you can really build a nice uh, residual pipeline of income and, and ultimately true wealth. And I loved what Brett talked about having this, this system that kicks off cash that's exactly how I feel about my real estate team because I'm not necessary for my real estate team to run. And so now I spend a lot of my time and energy thinking with the cash that kicks off the real estate business, where do I want to deploy that capital to give me the best return? And I just showed you on a rental property, I'm making 20%. So when someone tells me about some investment in the stock market that makes me eight or 10, I'm doubling that. And if I start looking at flips and you won't believe this number, my capital is only deployed for three months. I'm averaging a 200% return on my cash in, cash out on my flip properties. And the only thing I would add on, I mean, that was awesome, Jeff. And that's exactly what people need to be thinking. We didn't even get into the tax benefits or depreciation, or we didn't even get into like the eight other benefits of owning real estate, right? People paying it down and you could pull the equity out and buy them. I mean, we get, there's nine other, we could go real deep on that. But just the example you gave, I think what agency to realize is like you said, if you just bought one home a year, for 15 years, you'd probably, most agents listening to this would be the richest person you know. It's true. And, and what agents do is they, they're so worried about this moment, like I gotta get a deal today, I gotta get a commission today. And I know how you, I know we talked about this, Jeff, like the rentals that I bought at the time, I thought they were good deals, right? I, don't, I mean, I've got some great ones, but usually I'm looking for a good deal. Fast forward three or four years and you look at it, you're like, deal, ever. I mean, it's, oh my God, rents have went up 40%. Values up double. Tenant turning for you. Like all that stuff starts happening. And to me, if you're an agent listening to this and you're doing over 50, 60 deals a year and you don't have a plan to get rich, then figure out a plan. Because you, if you are spending off money and you're doing 60 plus deals a year and you, and you choose not to get rich in the real estate business, it's your fault because the option is there for you to take it. Yep. And there's no time better than today. Um, people will say, well, when I have an ex, you know, an extra $100,000 a year, I'll invest in a house. Or when my team has over 10 people, I'll invest in a house. Just do it now. I'm going to give people the same advice that people gave me. I bought my first rental when I was 26 and I did lease to owns on them. I, I've probably flipped 40 properties and owned 10 or 15 rental properties. Today, I only own six doors. And my goal is to own over 100 doors in the next eight years. And I have a plan that I've put into play to do it. What would you say are two or three great books, Brett, that someone that hasn't invested in a rental property yet or um, someone that hasn't flipped a home yet could read to help educate them a little bit more? Because obviously, we've just barely touched the surface. So I would say if you want, I think the fundamental benchmark book on residential buy and hold investing is The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. It is a dry read. It's a hard read. You know, it, it's not the most... Um, uplifting book, but it, it's the benchmark in terms of just the strategy and the methodology. So I'd read that. 
Uh, if you want to read the creative finance stuff, like subject to lease option, you touched on that. Wendy Patton, good friend of mine, has an amazing book on the subject. Um, really great on the creative side. And then I would probably, like, if you just want to get inspired, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to date myself a little here. But Robert Kiyosaki's guy that wrote the Real Estate Riches book, Dolph DeRoos, really cool book. So Real Estate Riches by Dolph DeRoos. Um, and then lastly, another friend of mine in the real estate industry, an icon, Linda McKissick, wrote a book called Hold that I think is really, really well done. So yep. Hold is great. And then also Flip is great, I've heard. I haven't read that one, but my guys that flip are, have read it. And then you got to mention Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I hope most of you have already read that, but read that as well. And this is what, how Brett and I are choosing to build our wealth. Another point is if you have another business that you know about, let's say you grew up on a farm and you know how to buy cattle, you just have never had the money to do it or invest in you know, seed or whatever it is, play your game. Brett and I have been rocking real estate for 10 or 11 years. We both understand it. That's where we're choosing to play. I'm playing and dabbling in little areas. I bought 20 head of cattle literally, and I'm not a farmer, I live in the city, but I, I bought 20 head of cattle last week in one of the hedge funds that I own. So I diversify a lot, but I believe in the Warren Buffett camp that he says, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and watch the basket. Do what you know and you love and you have passion around, but make sure you're doing something because you don't want to be the rock star agent on stage at 75 years old wondering why the hell you're still on stage. I think the goal is to have the freedom to not have to be on stage to make ends meet. And I look around at agents that are top producers that are 70 years old and I think that, I, that's not who I want to be. I want to build systems that make it so I can be laying on the beach. Unfortunately, Brett's not on the beach tomorrow in Jamaica because of Bahamas, Jamaica because of the hurricane that's coming in. Jamaica, I got to reroute my plan. I got to I got to figure out some travel stuff when we get off this podcast and figure out where I'm going to go. Awesome. Cool. Man, I don't know what more we can add to that. Great book recommendations, great podcasts on accountability, wealth creation, doesn't get talked about enough. Um, another source I'm going to throw out there to give my boy Maddie Aitchison a little shout out. He has an awesome podcast all surrounding the millionaire mindset. That's the name of it. You can find it on iTunes and Stitcher, Millionaire Mindset. He's a badass, so I recommend to check mind, Maddie out. Mindcast. Millionaire Mindcast. Oh, thank, thank you, man. Uh, and he's also working on a six-figure six flipping course. will be coming out here pretty shortly, too. Awesome. So last thing, uh, team building workshops. Brett just came to ours last month. It is going crazy. Montreal, we landed four or five more people that are coming in November, December. Uh, we're going to be at Boomtown Unite also this next week. I'm going to be speaking on two panels and we're going to be um, inviting as many people as possible to come take advantage of our workshop. It's once a month. It's a whole day event. Um, Brett, what would you be your say? Would you say your one or two biggest takeaways of that event? Because I know before you knew me, you know, I told you to come and I told you there'd be value. What would you have to say to the audience for after you had come and checked it out? I would say, regardless of what level of production, right? I mean, if you want to grow a team, you have a team, you're crushing it, you'll get value, right? Uh, I think going out and seeing the systems, the models, and I think the visibility, like, you know, you walk into Jeff's office, there's these two gecko boards, which I'm stealing, by the way. I'm, I'm doing awesome. exactly what Take he did. Um, there's these two gecko boards that show all their stats, everyone's production. The visibility, um, I love that part, right? Everyone on their team knows their score. They know, man, I'm behind, I'm ahead, and everyone else knows that that person's ahead or behind. So I love that visibility. Um, I think a lot of your tracking and spreadsheets and stuff that you guys do on the back end, we're doing a lot of it, but I took a lot away from that. So I think you can get better at, you know, at agents, we got to know what's making us successful and knowing the data, right? I think agents fail on the data piece. Yeah. And so I think that was huge. Uh, I think getting to spend time with the different people on your team, um, from Andy to Kevin to your dad, um, and seeing what those roles look like. And 
even if I was just building a team, I'd want to know, man, when I get 12 people, that's the role I need. That's what I'm looking for. Um, I, I love the time we got to spend with your dad. That guy's a script master. <laughs> cool. Um, so I, I would just say, I mean, if you're an agent out there, uh, I don't care what level you're at. I mean, I, you know, I'm selling, I've sold as many as 675 houses in a year and I went out there and had 10 pages of notes to come back and implement. So I'd say it's something that I don't care where you're at. If you don't go unless you want to get bigger. That's my, <laughs> my final comment. Awesome. Really great testimonial, Brett. I appreciate that. And guys, I would love to host you. It's a very small group. We keep the groups under five top producers. And like Brett said, even if you're a top producer doing 50 deals, there this is going to fit every model. Um, what I like most, and this will be the final sign off, I like how transparent our workshop is. I mean, I, we're ourselves. Sometimes you might even catch me having a little mini breakdown, sharing you know my deepest feelings and thoughts surrounding something completely separate from real estate. You know, our, our goal is to be successful and success isn't just making money or owning a hundred doors. It's living our lives to the fullest, taking advantage of every moment and being the best that we can be. And we're in the business of leadership. And, you know, I just learned from this conference I was at, Dan Grieb was speaking. He said the number one attribute of a leader is they create clarity. And the reason we created the workshop is because there's a lot of leaders out there having success, but they don't have clarity. They don't know necessarily even why they're successful or where they want to go. And I think if you come and check out my operations, you'll have a much better idea of where you are, who you want to become, what you want to become. And it doesn't have to be me. You might even say, I want nothing to do with that guy. I want nothing like him, but at least it'll give you some more clarity. And, you know, in my informational interview um, pursuits, you know, after visiting over 30 or 40 brick and mortar locations, I really got clear on what I wanted to create. And obviously we did it a lot faster. I thought I'd be 50 uh, when we were at this point. We got here in five years going from 80 to this year, 650 transactions. Your team can do the exact same thing. Just spend the money. It's $3,000. Um, you can get the information on the website, EliteRealEstateSystems.com. Click on workshops and come check it out. Hang out with me for a day. It's a really good time. All right. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. That is all the time we have for the podcast today. We really appreciate you guys listening. Make sure to check out everything on the uh, on the site, like Jeff mentioned, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Matt. Right. Thanks, Brett. Guys. Later, guys.